Welcome to Please Fix Things, a podcast where we analyze and reflect on the bizarre trends surrounding young adults today. Hi, I'm Raj Parekh. And I'm Sanchit Wadhawan. And we're just two young professionals who sleep in, don't diet, don't have a side hustle, and don't have travel recommendations for you. And we're doing totally okay. If you're like us and you feel drained by the fads, norms, and ideas defining our culture today, come join us as we try to make sense of the forces taking a toll on our well-being and give our take on how to fix them. Welcome to our fourth episode of Please Fix Thanks. Today, we're going to be talking about side hustles and startup culture. So again, to give you a quick recap of how this episode's going to go, Raj is going to read me an email that lays out some of the points he sees about startup culture and side hustles. Then I'll lay out a quick response discussing the issues we see with the culture. We'll discuss in greater detail and research what we see going on with startup culture. And then we'll have a guest who's actually a startup founder to talk about her experience with her startup. And then we're going to uh, end it with some concluding thoughts for you. So without further ado, Raj... Dear Sanjit, ever since I heard the word entrepreneurship, other than it being the word that I thought I'll never be able to spell, I thought to myself that it's the most exciting thing anyone can do in this world. Wouldn't you just love to drop everything you have going on to pursue something that was seemingly your life's call to action? Well, the reality is once you subscribe to the startup culture, there is no turning back. The Uberization of work which is also known as the gig economy, and the romanticization of startups have pushed people to passionately pursue a toxic lifestyle. This lifestyle can be categorized under three pillars, which are you're always selling, you're always networking, and you're always scaling and hustling. We've gotten to the point where we have rebranded a path to burnout as relentless hustle, consequently pushing people towards hating what they're passionate about because they feel the need to live up to a certain standard. Before we all subscribe to this burnout economy, we should consider the strain on our relationships, adverse impact on our mental health, and the improbable chance of becoming an overnight millionaire. Please fix things. The improbable chance of becoming a millionaire is a great point. 90% of startups fail, and most side hustles don't pay that well either. Despite what social media or other outlets may lead people to believe, there's no easy way to get rich. And that's essentially what we're trying to fix here. With the rise of the gig economy, investing trends, and increasing startup and social media culture, it seems like there's more ways to get rich while being your own boss than ever. But in truth, the people who are highly successful with their startups or side hustles are a tiny minority of the population. Most side gigs barely pay above minimum wage when broken down on an hourly basis, and barely 55% of Americans own any stock at all. The growing idea or expectation that everyone should have a side gig is misplaced and toxic. It leads to unrealistic expectations and can take time away from doing other things that are more fulfilling. It's completely fine to not constantly be hustling or growing something if you're not into it. And if you are going to start off on a new adventure, It should be because you're doing something you love with people you love and not because you're expecting to get rich. You're absolutely right, Sanjay. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not always about the glamour, the fame and, you know, the the promise of a lifetime of financial freedom. It's usually about 
mostly lows until you hit a point where you're sustainable, right? Let's say, let's say break even with your side hustle or your startup, and then you start to invest more and more time. I think that's the main point that everyone's forgetting. And, you know, to our audience, let's set the stage for what we mean when we say, you know, side hustles and gig economy, right? What we're saying is, is, is this rise of, you know, work at your own time, work at your own pace, you know, work part-time here and you can work part-time there, right? But Again, you're probably hired as a contractor as opposed to a full-time employee. And that's predominantly what shapes or sort of what distinguishes the gig economy from the one that's, you know, the traditional path. Yeah, exactly. And I think I, at least in the last, you know, five, 10 years, especially I think Uber was the first big Mm -hmm. one to come to my attention of like, oh, you can do this thing on the side that'll get you a little bit of extra money to, you know, just do whatever you want to with it. And I think when it first started out, there are all these companies that offered gigs as like a supplement to your nine to five job, right? Like people who already had a job or a career and were looking to do something on the weekends, maybe or at night could take into these things. But now we've seen so Mm -hmm. many side hustles that like, you know, a small minority of them have actually like gotten rich enough to quit their day jobs and are blogging and social media posting about, you know, how they're making like a hundred grand a quarter (laughs) off of these things. And I think that's kind of gotten an unrealistic expectation of like, oh, maybe I can do this and quit my corporate job too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've also seen so many posts, especially like LinkedIn's the worst, I think, about this of, you know, oh, if you're not growing an idea on the side or if you don't have a side hustle that you're trying to scale into a a real business, like, you know, you're not working hard enough or something. Yep. And I think that is sort of a, a myth that we need to, you know, kind of get at where it's totally okay to not have a side hustle or try to be monetizing every single hobby you've ever had. It really is. It really is. Because if you consider the other side, right, let's say you do have a side hustle. Let's say, for example, you're working part time or as a contractor for Google, right? Google recently came out and said it officially has more contractors than it has full time employees. And now this kind of leads to this awkward situation uh, where we think of when we think about it, do we treat them as employees? Do we treat them as just like part-time workers, like, you know, what is covered, right? So as we know, in the case of Google and Uber, they don't cover any medical benefits, right? They don't cover any 401ks for these contractors. Uh, There isn't really a lot of job security, right? Because they can easily replace you in this gig economy. So there is no stability, but at the same time, there's this promise and then sometimes over-promise of working at your own time and, you know, a secondary income to whatever you might already have going on. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think it's a like this has sort of been like a new thing to skirt like labor laws and a lot of mm-hmm. like labor rights and freedoms that I know like various movements in the US have fought for, right? Like we used to have like the 40 hour work week and protected holidays and benefits, like, you know, employers contributing to 401ks and giving you time off. But there's really, you know, no concept of that when you're a contractor, when you're, you know, working as a gig worker. Yeah, sure. You can take time off Uber whenever you want, but that just Mm -hmm. means you're not going to get paid. Right. And And there's so many like apps where, you know, you can do gigs on the side, Mm -hmm. but like if you take into account like all the hours that you're spending, you know, like I've talked to so many Uber and Lyft drivers who are like, yeah, you know, I'll work, you know, the whole day and maybe I'll make like, you know, $50 on a ride. But like on the whole day, if I, you know, really count what I average after paying for gas, I'm barely making maybe 10 or $15 an hour. And I'm working like 80 hours a week, seven days a week to do this job. Like it's not nearly as glamorous as it sounds. Right. And that's the 
that's the key differentiating factor, right? We see all the success stories of, you know, how I became a millionaire overnight by investing, right? That's another big one. I know, Sanjit, you had a very nice hot take on that. So do you want to elaborate a little bit more on these investing trends? Oh, yeah. So I think one effect of the pandemic that we've seen is, you know, people have a lot more time at home. And, you know, there's a lot of ambitious folks out there who are saying like, hey, how can I monetize my like sitting on the couch? And I don't know if you've heard of this thing called Robinhood. Oh, yeah. Um, But it turns out you can invest or, you know, buy and trade options for free. Um, and if you don't know what options are good, you should probably keep it that way. It's just <laughs> for everyone. Um, don't worry about it. If you're happy not knowing what options are good, if you're sad, options also aren't the answer. Guys, um, guys, guys, you're not missing out. So this is definitely not FOMO. So please don't stop this podcast and go Google it. To tell you that you don't need to trade options and you're not missing out on anything. There's nothing to fix here. There's nothing to fix here. <laughs> please don't fix. Okay, thanks. Yes. <laughs> um, But yeah, there's so many people who are like, I'll teach you how to trade options, watch this 20 minute YouTube video and then buy like Tesla calls, you know, to like this price point for this time. And like, you'll be a millionaire and you can see so many people, you know, putting up like $5,000, $10,000 and one day they'll make 100K and the next day they'll lose like, you know, $300,000. Like I think TikTok mm-hmm. traders are also a thing where like you'll see people making like five minute video, like, you know, like not five minute, like yep. 50 second videos of them like dancing and like above their head is like words for their like positions that they have. That's like netted them millions of dollars or whatever. That's crazy. Um, and a lot of people are buying and using that as legit information to trade, right? And consequently losing yeah, a it's lot of those like trades. Legit information. I think people just see, oh my God, I can make so much money mm-hmm. like, you know, with trading and mm-hmm. I have all this time, I'm just going to do it. And then that's why you see stuff like, you know, at one point, like Tesla was almost at $2,000 before they split their stock and they've been skyrocketing. And like what the scandal was like Nikola or that company's stock just like skyrocketed out of nowhere. No one can ever do enough due diligence, can they? Right? Well, even if you do the due diligence, right? Even if you say like, oh my gosh, like Tesla's like, you know, P is way too high for me to invest in. Like mm-hmm. there's still the psychological, oh my God, like I could have bought Tesla at a thousand and now it's at 1500. And then like when it's at 1500, you're like, it makes no sense that it's at 1500, but it's going to go to 2000, right? I should get in now. You know what I mean? Like there's... yeah. So I guess with the examples of investing and, you know, Google and Uber that we've talked about, what we're noticing is a lot of the liability that these companies would previously have, right? Let's say in an economy with labor unions 20, 30 years ago, now that liability falls on your shoulders, right? So in the case of an Uber driver, as you pointed out, the maintenance costs and the gas and everything is on the driver because the driver is technically technically not an employee of Uber, So why should Uber pay for anything? And then what ends up happening is all this glamour that initially attracted you to to be a full-time, part-time hustler, quote unquote, uh, or subscribe to the gig economy. Those profit margin spreads are pretty much eroding the minute you join. Oh, definitely too. And I mean, there's that famous, you know, case recently where Uber and Lyft both threatened to pull out of California because California was about to make them start treating the people who drive for them as employees. Mm Mm-hmm. Are these really viable businesses if they can't treat the people who work for them as employees and still remain profitable, you know, or even remain or even get to a point of profitability in the first place in Uber's case? Like, I, I think we really like need to think about as a society, the business models that we accept 
companies to have, right? Like, are we okay with like every company saying like, oh, like we'll just have contractors and gig workers and people can work for us in their free time for like no benefits. And some of them might get rich and most of them might not. And that's just okay. Because right. that sounds a lot like industrial revolution era, like robber baron. Except worse, because now you're getting rich off of the backs of unprotected contractors versus, oh, yeah. you know, back in the industrial revolution, we at least had labor unions or some sort of laws oh, in place. About, like, this is like before labor unions. Like this is like the stuff that labor unions were formed in response for, to. Right. 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 Those traditional assembly line workers that were clearly overworked. Right. Like there would be no medical benefits if they lost an arm. Right. So we're seeing something similar, except in the digital age and in the digital way of thinking. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's also been studies that have shown that like the sharing economy or the gig economy is like increased income inequality Mm -hmm. um, among like the bottom part of the workers, you know, just because like a lot of the times, like people who are gigging for extra cash might be Mm -hmm. replacing people traditionally used to perform that labor as a full-time gig you know what mm-hmm. i mean like i know like Uber mm-hmm. has displaced many taxi drivers in like new york and chicago who you know might have been actually having a viable full-time job now there's a bunch of people who are driving 10 hours a week and there's fewer like viable full-time taxis in those cities absolutely so let's talk about the more viable option that we're also seeing romanticized on the market and that is startups i think startups are another thing that They've always kind of been there as a big, like, oh, you should hop off on your own and venture mm-hmm. into a startup and make it big. And right, like, who doesn't want to, you know, found their own company and be a CEO and put their name on like the next big startup, right? Right. And you're right. You know, who doesn't want to be a founder? Who doesn't want to put their stamp and, you know, leave a legacy behind? But is it all glory and no effort or is it just another hype? You know, I think this this really leads us to the to a good segue into introducing our guest speaker for today. Uh, her name's Ayushi Patel, and she's actually the founder and co-founder and CEO of a med device startup based in Orange County, California. So, without further ado, Ayushi, welcome to our podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, would you like to just give a brief introduction, real quick, for our audience? Yeah. So, thank you, Raj, for having me. Um... Well, hi, listeners. Uh, I'm Ayushi Patel, co-founder CEO of Sensen. We're a small medical device startup based in Orange County, California, and we basically make pocket-sized brain monitoring devices. And just think of it as a stethoscope, but for the brain. It's a pen-shaped device, gives brain data in under a minute, and can cut down the time for screening from four to 48 hours to practically four minutes. So we're excited to be working on that. So we would love to know more about, you know, what motivated you to pursue the path of a startup, right? Especially right after college. How do I best put this? Startup is not a one-man show. No matter how much movies or any kind of uh, romanticized stories will tell you, it is not a one-man show. So if you find a great set of people with whom you can feel that hey, this is a technology I can work on and make it happen, take the leap. I think I think it's worth it, especially when you're in your early 20s, your risk tolerance is high. There's not a lot to lose. It, well, if you don't have a lot to lose, uh, I, I would highly encourage uh, taking that leap. So that was kind of the case for me too. Found great people. I'm, I'm in my early 20s, so the risk is low. I actually do absolutely love the technology and can see 
the use cases, not only in United States, but also in developing countries. And thought it would be cool to see a device like ours to be used someday in hospitals um, and helping patients. So that, that's what motivates me. That's pretty interesting. Um, did you have an option for a corporate job as opposed to doing a startup straight away? Or was this sort of your only choice? So I did have opportunities where I was offered a role in algorithm design, which is something I also enjoy a lot for medical signals. So it was a variable technology, looks at your heart rate and tells you if you have arrhythmia or not. So was working in their R&D team with PhDs. Uh, that was fun too. But the problem was the way it was structured, I just couldn't see myself beyond like a bi-weekly paycheck. And the type of person I am, that's that scared me to death. Like every other Thursday, you're just like, okay, I'll get the paycheck, but what next, right? No exciting projects to work on. All this energy, you know, bottled up, but you can't really bring it to any kind of innovation that is meaningful. And I felt that if in my early 20s, before I get chained down by some of the traditions my culture has, which is like merit settling down, I really wanted to work on something that can, uh, which I can use to leave a legacy behind, because that is more important to me than just uh, stability, at least in the early 20s, is what is what is something I did that nobody else could have done in that moment. And yeah, definitely. So Aisha, you kind of mentioned like trying to have a startup experience before like cultural expectations or anything like that. Did you, when you got into it, have a plan of this is kind of what I want the next like five or six years of my life to go? Or do you have sort of a future roadmap laid out for where you see yourself within the startup? Uh, not really. So when when we first started the company, the whole idea was just run, 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 get the product up and going, raise money, things like that. So we were so hyper-focused that it was hard to kind of see the five-year timeline, right? Even within the company. So that was kind of last year. This year, what because we're, we're in a better uh, position, we have working prototypes, we're doing actually really well as a company. We've, all the founders, uh, we've taken a step back and really thought about exactly where do we see ourselves and the company in five years. And what's funny is sometimes taking a step back actually gives you more exciting ideas. So didn't know about it when I first started the company, but the more I do it, I can, the picture gets clearer. Yeah. So Ayushi, um, you know, earlier mentioned that your primary motivation was leaving behind a legacy, right? Now that sounds something that takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears. So would you like to tell us all the different, you know, highs and lows that you've, you've been put through in the last year of being on this journey? First of all, I think something which a lot of people don't tell you, or I guess maybe they don't tell you this because it will scare you entirely from the idea of entrepreneurship and startup is it is a long and lonely path for even all the founders involved. It doesn't matter because you're not, uh, you don't have market salary or oftentimes founders are taking no pay at all. You're working anywhere between 12 to 13 hour days. Constantly, people will tell you things won't work because that's the job of society. Just keep saying no until it works and magically turn around and say, I always believed in that idea, right? So there's not a lot of validation when you're young in a space like ours, which is medical device. Uh, a lot of people will not take you seriously. So all those initial struggles, uh, there's a lot more lows than highs. But uh, if I were to tell you guys this, you only need one or two highs to really give you the jolt to keep going forward. So anytime you do a presentation and 
potential end customers walk up to you and tell you that, hey, if we had this, we could have treated this patient 10 times faster. That Those are the small things you really need to keep going uh, forward. Or let's say we figured some small problem out after like three or four days of debugging only to realize something was not connected properly. All those little things, you may feel stupid that, oh, how did I miss it? But it's good enough to not demotivate you from going forward. Definitely. And I think, you know, back there in your answer, you definitely busted a couple of myths that Sanjay and I have come across in our research. And, you know, a couple of the ones that you just busted were number one, your side hustle will solve all your money problems. And then number two, it's very easy to turn a side hustle into a profitable business. So I guess our question is, why do you think the myths are out there? You know, why do you think these myths propagate and sort of allure these young college kids to get into the path of becoming an entrepreneur? I, I'm actually curious if the statistics do show that more millennials are willing to take risk versus not. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the this these stupid like, oh, the side hustle started making me X amount. So I quit the job to make it my mm-hmm. full-time job. There's a few things I don't like about it. First of all, I think a lot of these come from these YouTubers or God knows these gurus who are trying to brainwash people into thinking that it's very easy to have a little capital and just turn it into huge returns over course of, let's say, four or five or six months. That does not happen. And if it does, then I, the thing I'm curious about is how scalable is it, right? Mm-hmm. That's probably not something you're going to raise venture capital for. That's my assumption. Are you Sorry. telling me everyone just doesn't have a small loan of a million dollars like lying around? To... <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Give me your phone call. We're fundraising right now. Literally, yeah, we're the team that's always be scaling. You know, we're always yeah, constantly course. scaling and hustling. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Who are these people? Like, I have no clue what product they're selling. I actually did come across a couple of these YouTube. When you're looking up a lot of YouTube algorithm knows, man. Like if, if you're looking up a lot of like VC lingo or like check size or things like that, they will start recommending you all these like um, entrepreneur gurus. And I wonder what their background is. I'm a first time founder and I feel every single day that I'm learning like 200 different new things from, and a lot of it is actually from successful founders that are around me. So God knows what their background are is and I, I was usually how those videos would go right and i've seen a couple of those so maybe you can help us debunk some of this uh process flow right so it's usually a person that will come on and say you know talk as if they've made their millions overnight and then they'll tell you that they'll become a business coach quote unquote and turn your business around into a million dollar business in a week or a month without ever having started their own business, right? And then they will tell you that they have all the secret sauces that you need. So they, you definitely need to hire them for $10,000 a day or something like that. I only have one word to say, run. <laughs> like, <laughs> like people will promise you all kinds of, okay. In the past year, I've been a startup founder. People have come up to me and promised me all kinds of crap for uh, in, in exchange for like equity uh, or, mm-hmm. or just like a little stake in the company or some kind of uh, equity cash compensation model. Mm-hmm. And now I have a strategy of how to spot these people. <laughs> Please do share. <laughs> so last year when I was, I guess, a little more naive, it was hard to tell because when you're first time founder and you're still iterating on the product, 
and you're also an engineer and engineers love listening to feedback. I don't know. I, I guess I'll, I'll just talk about it from my team's perspective. We love listening to feedback. We'd sit down and just like people like these who might show interest in the product, like listen to them word by word. And then sometimes it would lead us in a whole different direction, but you know, it's feedback and we value it. But I realized some of these people who do have, I guess, ulterior motives, they're overly critical of your device without really listening to what it does. And the feedback they give you is also that, oh, I can really help you solve this. And you have this problem, which you really don't know you do. Uh, wow. And it makes you feel it, right? Like when, when you're a startup with not a lot of resources, you feel like any help is better than no help. Mm-hmm. And there's always yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's always not enough people to take all the workload, right? So right, the natural tendency is, oh, I should get this person as quickly as possible mm-hmm. so that they can help me fix this problem because this is the only thorn in my way, which is not mm-hmm. true, right? Right. So so now I have two different strategies. One only from recommendations, only from referrals from people mm-hmm. I really, really trust. And uh, other weeding out strategy is if if they're not really listening to the product and working with you on a strategy, but just constantly providing criticism, which is not helpful, then then you really know it that relationship may not work long term. So yeah, do you, so, did you ever get advice that you felt like was like somebody was trying to steer your company or your product in a direction that you had like no interest in going in and like for a selfish motive? Not really. So I guess that's a that's a benefit of uh, being a medical device company. A lot of people just don't understand how physiology <laughs> works. <laughs> that's fair. For our device, uh, just on the technology itself, we've always gotten feedback oh, have you have you looked into like defense uh, organizations, things like that? Like, oh, this looks exciting. Like it's it's so portable. Why don't you try for this segment or that segment? So never on the technology itself. Definitely there has been like some advice which wasn't relevant, but it was to sidetrack us into something else. Oh, and Raj, actually going back to those YouTube videos you were talking about, right? That oh, give a get me as a business coach, and then they they would either propose so the YouTube people always propose like I will take X percent cut on, I guess the profit spread, or mm-hmm, from your mm-hmm. sales or whatever. I don't really. I think there's two different kinds of startups. One is like tech startup. Then these other ones, I just see them more as mom and pop stores or just like sales. For different products on, let's say, Amazon, etc. So I, I don't really know how you categorize these startups because the world I am in is very different than some of these things which these YouTubers are proposing. Right. Typically, what they're proposing is this, you know, tried and true shortcut strategy for very narrowly defined spaces like e-commerce uh, or you're starting your own business to to sell one product or something like that, but not really with anything that has a high regulatory bar like med devices. Uh, definitely, I think that's where you can see the, their, all their models, quote unquote, will break down. The way I see these, uh, do you guys work out? Yeah. Okay. Rash, do you work out? Okay, figured. <laughs> <Sometimes. So, laughs> Depends on my mood. So I think I think you have to decide if you want to follow get skinny like get abs in a week or two weeks or do you actually want to take want to take the time to get your workout routine right fix your diet fix your posture for lifting weights and then work on progressive overload techniques to actually build the kind of body which will last for months so you're not yo-yo dieting or doing something stupid which will reverse very quickly 
Right. No, that makes sense. Right. Like the workout advice is like the best workout is whatever you're willing to commit to for a long period of time. Right. Like that kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something which is sustainable, right? Maybe you can rush into something for two, three months and then let's say things don't work out, but everything just crumbles because from the beginning, you didn't you did not focus on creating something sustainable. That's not a long term strategy. That's just get rich quick scheme, which actually might hurt you more than the fact that if you didn't do it at all, right? That's the whole yo-yo dieting uh, process too. That's how I see this YouTube videos, to be honest. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, so there, so there is a little bit of like the yo-yo dieting effect in like startup culture then like, have you kind of seen a lot of people start their own ventures with the intent of trying to make a lot of money really quickly? Um, so personally, just around me, I would say no, because the kind of founders I have in my company, we're all, a lot of them are in healthcare or med devices. And we all have just, we all just have accepted our fate that we will have to go through government regulation, which just takes years and years of time. Mm -hmm. So, so for us, the mentality is actually quite different. However, you see that, that kind of mindset more in maybe consumer app space, Mm -hmm. Where oh I'm going to make this on demand app that does that gets me one uh, Nutella jar from Albertsons whenever let's say 12 a.m. cravings God whatever that is right and right. and those those are the kinds of apps where people expect like turnaround to be more fast than than medical space because you 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 want to get traction and then once you get traction you think you can raise a lot of money and then that money you can take for salaries there's a whole step there's a whole process to it too but uh not in my immediate company so you know now that you've been in this journey what would you recommend that could be changed uh, with the startup culture as we know it and some of the things that our audience can take away and perhaps there's someone out there trying to become an entrepreneur in the next year or so, you know, any piece of advice that will be helpful for them or any word of caution uh, before they sign up for this lifestyle? I think, I think the first thing that needs to be changed is just the general understanding of what entrepreneurship is. Right, right now, the way it's been portrayed on media, it only shows you one side of like business businesses and business owners, right? I've even seen like on, on media, the usual uh, narrative for entrepreneurs is that I hated working for my boss. So I decided to quit, right? Have you, have you guys seen that? Like, do you guys yeah. feel like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That fancy email is super happy. And then they can like, just like rents out some garage the next morning and, then, you know, gets on the right. hustle wagon, I guess. Like the audacious gaudy, like you walk into your office and you yell, I quit. And you like, yeah, have a startup a week later. Yeah, we, I've definitely seen stuff like and that. And you make a YouTube video about it the next morning. too. So. <laughs> and three LinkedIn yeah. posts. Yes. And, and, and probably that YouTube video is titled, why I quit dot, dot, dot. Something oh, yeah. Right. Like that. oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know who you are. What kind of business do you do? But I can tell you one thing. Any, any tech startup that is going to grow and scale. You're accountable to your investors. You're accountable to your board of directors, your team, your advisories, your customers, your future customers. It's not that just because you have the title of CEO, you can do whatever you want. So that's one of the things I would I, I hope people understand that the title means nothing. It re What really matters is what do you do in the company, right? You can, tomorrow Raj can take like $300 
file company, let's say Delaware, and get a co-founder CEO or founder CEO title and put it on his business card, but it doesn't mean anything, right? And it could, on surface level, the title sounds great, but, and it seems like he has a lot of power, but you really don't. And it really depends on what kind of businesses you're in. So I think, I hope that mentality also changes is Mm -hmm. just don't bundle everything, whatever you see in mainstream media, just don't think that is it. There's, there's a lot of different businesses beyond what is shown. The other thing I think I would change is, well, I was just told today that the whole, the reason why startups and just this investment space thrives is two things, right? It's hype and fear of missing out. Part of me does wish that, oh, why don't these people do a little bit more of digging into the technology so you don't have more cases like WeWork, right? Do you, have you guys heard of WeWork? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. the most we, beautiful disaster we've ever seen in our lives. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. So so the first time I learned about it was actually a year and a half ago, uh, or maybe four to five months before they were going to go public. Tank. And, oh, okay. Or, well, public first, right? So, and <laughs> little column A, little column B. Yeah. Yeah. And my friend was talking about how he was interested in potentially buying WeWork shares. And I asked him, well, what is this company? Because I was pretty oblivious back then. And he Mm -hmm. said that, oh, it's this company which kind of rents you little space and you can have a subscription model and don't pay steep prices, let's say, especially in like cities like New York, right? And, And I said, okay, then how much are they valued? And I think they were valued something like $45 billion before everything went bust. And I just looked at my friend weirdly I'm, and asked him, wait, why are they valued so much? And and he's like, oh, but it's a tech company. And I'm like, no, it's a real estate company. Do you know how many operational expenses uh, does a company like that have to maintain a space that big? But, but apparently everybody just, nobody tried to do their due diligence. Everybody got a hype wagon and just believed the founder who kept saying, oh, it's a tech company. It's a tech company. And people just kept pumping in the valuation uh, because private markets really don't well, actually looking at Tesla stock, I don't know even public markets know how to value companies, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, and then everything went bust when the when they filed with SEC and all the truths came out. So I really hope people actually do take the time to look into what the company is doing rather than just chasing the hype and trying to become a unicorn. It sounds great. Again, it's all like the title, right? But what are you really doing? Are you really making a difference? So yeah, those those are the two things. And word of caution would be don't get into this, don't get into a startup because you think you've seen some romanticized version of it on mainstream media. Do it because you really like it. And mm-hmm. you because you will face burnout and do it with people you can trust. Growing a startup is like raising a baby. So you better pick the right business partners to raise your child with because there will be rough times. There will be more rough times than uh, I guess rainbows and unicorns. So but at the end of the day, if you guys can all stick it out, that's all it takes to push through the hard times and to make it on, like, to make it to the side where the grass is greener, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, definitely. That's I think that's great advice. Thank you so much, Ayushi. All those takes were really insightful and helpful. I think our audience has a lot to take away from your words of wisdom and and your real tangible experiences from from the past year of being an, a true entrepreneur. So thank you so much for being with us here today. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks, guys. So we've had a great conversation with Ayushi. And 
you know, let's summarize some of our thoughts and the myths that we heard and discussed in our conversation, Raj. Mm -hmm. For sure. So I, I can tackle the first few ones. I think number one is the myth that everyone needs a side hustle. Uh, we really think that should not be the case, right? You should always consider your passion and where your interests truly lie. Because as we've heard, it's not all roses and sunshine. It's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that, that go into it. I think something has to be said for the opportunity cost of a side hustle as well, mm -hmm. right? Like every minute you put into your side hustle, you know, if you're not into it or passionate about what you're doing is time that you could have been spent, you know, maybe with friends or with family, nurturing relationships, or even just like pursuing a passion that you are into. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of other ones that we think we can summarize together uh, are your side hustle will solve all your money problems, right? Or maybe turning your passion into a startup will immediately turn into a profitable business, right? It takes years, if not decades sometimes, to turn something into a million dollar business. And it's not what you see on your targeted YouTube or Instagram ads where they talk about, I had $2,000 to invest and in four months, I turn it into 2 million. That's just not how the regular world works. Yeah, it's such a small minority of stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that online, of course, all the big successes get amplified. And mm -hmm. it is definitely a minority of cases there. And also there's a the consideration of like, while you might like doing something casually on the side, it looks very different when you're trying to turn it into a full-time startup. Absolutely. And I think the last one that we think we covered was there won't be an impact on your full-time job, right? As, as you mentioned, Sanjit, there is definitely a very big trade-off, right? And the minute you put yourself into a side hustle mode or, you know, even invest your time into building a startup, the risk now is entirely on your shoulders as opposed to, let's say, your employers or if you're doing a project for any company, right, it's on the company. So now you're taking all that risk on your shoulders and you got to invest more time into it. So it's not a very risk-free environment. If you're thinking that's the case, that's probably not true. And you're going to end up spending more time on this. So at some point of time, your full-time job is going to affect and that's going to be viewed negatively if you don't leave it on time. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there are cases where it might just be worth, you know, leaving your, you know, side passion project as a very periphery activity and focus more on your career for a couple of years than mm -hmm. To immediately turn into like, let's get my side hustle off the ground like during business hours because a lot of times it does turn into that. I agree. All right, so let's uh, conclude our thoughts. So let me quickly go first, right? I think my biggest takeaway from the conversation we've had today and from our research is don't feel pressure to do a side hustle, right? There is no obligation whatsoever to pursue one, no matter how many gurus or experts on all these different platforms tell you to pursue one, you really don't have to do one unless the idea came organically to you. So I think, you know, be able to recognize the sensationalism of the word hustle versus actually hustling out there because it's going to take a toll on your body, right? There's got, there's going to be a burnout to some extent, and you have to be able to figure it out for yourself on whether or not you want to take that time off your plate and possibly pursue down that path or control and try to balance everything at the same time and take a toll on your mental health. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, similarly from that conversation, you know, two of my biggest takeaways are it is hard to, you know, stand a startup up like mm -hmm. way harder than I think anybody really talks about. 
online. And I know you can, you know, there's probably other interviews you can listen to that'll talk about like the struggles of, you know, getting a startup off the ground, but it's definitely not all sunshine and rainbows. And the other thing too, is if you are going to do a startup, make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that you like and enjoy and, Mm -hmm. you know, are have a similar goal in mind to you too. Cause I, I see so many, you know, videos online or I see so many people out there who are like, let me come hop into your startup and give you <laughs> advice. You have to be careful. Business about, coach, right? Sanchez? Business you know, coach. Yeah. I mean, you gotta be really careful about who you're listening to. And I think that was one of my biggest takeaways from our conversation with Ayushi as well and how she's navigating that. Very well said, Sanchez. Very well said. And that's been it. With that, we conclude our fourth episode of Please Fix Thanks. We hope you enjoyed it. It's the first time we brought along a guest speaker. So if you liked it, please do let us know on Instagram or LinkedIn or send us an email. And next week, we'll come back and talk about vacationing. Hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Please Fix Things. I'm Raj Parikh. And I'm Sanchit Wathawan. If you liked what you heard, we would really appreciate it if you could rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about us. Toss us on your Facebook feed, send us to your boss, or post this episode on your LinkedIn page and tag some people just to see what happens. We don't really care, just spread this around. You should also check out our website, pleasefixthanks.com, for all of our episodes and latest updates. If you want to tell us how we took the words right out of your mouth or have suggestions for future podcasts, Drop us a note at hosts at pleasefixthanks.com. We hope to catch you next time. See ya.